Hi, I'm Anita Adalja, the Food Safety Project Manager of the National Young Farmers Coalition. The coalition is a national advocacy network of farmers, ranchers, and land workers fighting for the future of agriculture. We work to change policy, build networks, and provide business services to ensure all farmers have the chance to succeed. And I'm Billy Mitchell of the National Farmers Union, a membership-based organization that advocates for farmers, ranchers, fishers, and their communities through education, cooperation, and legislation. This podcast series you're listening to is an introduction to the Young Farmer's Guide to Writing a Food Safety Plan. We will be featuring farmers sharing stories of best practices that have improved their farm and impacted their food safety planning along the way. You might be wondering why we think this series and food safety plan guide are important. Well, we heard from farmers that writing a food safety plan can be tricky for a number of reasons. In fact, in a recent survey of farmers on Instagram, we found that 62% have started and stopped writing a food safety plan two to three times out of frustration. Our hope is that these recordings and accompanying guide will be a resource that can help us all get through the process. Thanks for joining us and happy listening. As important as it is to monitor and amend the fields and crops that are growing on your farm, it's just as important to monitor and maintain the equipment that you are using. This can include tractors, tillers, hand tools, irrigation supplies, cold storage, and more. Having a regular schedule that includes inspections and any maintenance and cleaning can help really avoid any big surprises like repairs or issues that could potentially delay work on your farm. Let's hear what Lindy, Daniel, and Rahul have to say about this topic. So I'm Lindy from Little Fox Farm, um, and this is my husband. Daniel Guzman. Um, and so it's my business and he, my husband, he helps me, um, like part-time on the weekends. Um, so I grow like a wide variety of organic vegetables and I do a lot of cut flowers and he's kind of the one that does all of the, the tractor maintenance and the mechanic work on the tractor and the equipment around the farm. Um, you know, he has like 10 years of experience as a mechanic. Um, well, more than 10 years, 10 years of experience as a farmer. And then, you know, as a mechanic for 20 years. I'm yeah. for 20 years. I do it in different skills mechanic, like industrial mechanic, and like, I can say agricultural mechanic is completely different. Uh, I have a training for, I was training in Mexico, so different skills. And when I come in here for a start to be a farmer, so I'm gonna start to work more in mechanic and agricultural mechanic. And where are you all located? Um, so I lease the land that I grow on um, and it's in Douglasville. It's only like 35, 40 minutes outside of Atlanta. And what kind of equipment do you all use on your farm? Um, so mostly, you know, it's a small tractor, um, a little John Deere, like 25 horsepower tractor. And with that, we use, you know, the bush hog and the tiller, a plow, you know, and it has the, the front end loader. So the bucket with the hydraulic system, that most is, of it, yeah. Uh, that is in this farm. And the 10 years I had like be farming in Georgia, I work in and I work in um, seven years in Birch Organic, and now I'm working for Roger Vincent Roots. And these two farms are driving like more to the seven different tractors, include 
old tractors and new tractors, uh, different horses power, uh, mechanic and hydraulic. Right now I handle equipment like tiller, push-up, uh, BCS, transplanter, spader, power hero, plastic layer, this hero, plows, and I can make it one huge list about all this equipment and every equipment I do the service. So I know experience how to take it apart and put them back together. Uh, the reason K learning is because we know that the mechanic skills is very high for pay and labor. So I have the opportunity for learning every day and this and this equipment. So that is why we put in this program together. So can you tell me, say you're using the tiller or the bush hog, how what are the steps you take to after you're finished using it to just store it and what's that process look like? That is the pain. One of the process I follow for the, the, the right maintenance is when you finish, when you start to use the tiller, or you, you start to use the tiller, you need to do the inspection before, okay, so level oils, okay, it's nothing in stock, because everything is working fine. When I say working fine, it's only checking. When you stay operating the equipment, it'll be a completely different situation, but you need to check and pierce the level soil and keep it clean. So that is the first step. When you finish to use the equipment, it's the same steps like wash the clinic, wash the equipment, clean it, check it, everything is in good conditions, and store it. So I think maybe you want to ask me like what I do when I finish to use. Completely different thing. It's like and Rogers or other farms, we have a program for when you need to check in there everything. Because in this case, we will use the tiller. I finish to use the tiller, I'm storer and safety place. And I need to check again level oils, chain, uh, blades, uh, rings, uh, changing the grease or putting new grease. Um, I can say that this is the basic thing of one tiller. So, you stay talk about the spader, is you need to replace the blades, you need to change the oil. You need to count the time, how many hours you use the equipment to, because that is the important part too. Again, checking bearings, and that's it for the space. But when, I'm sorry, when you're working in a tractor, that is a completely different situation because you need to park in your tractor, washing everything again is the important part. And when you have the time or you need to program your maintenance, you need to check in oil levels, hydraulic levels, filters, clean radiator, uh, tire pressure, fuel filter, uh, batteries, uh, lights, everything. So it's more specific system. Do you keep records of all of this when, you, when you're doing the maintenance or the checks? I do it my personal records. Yeah. So that is completely, when you train the operator or the driver, so the driver is responsible for the equipment. The owner cannot have enough time because the farmer is completely busy area. So when you driver, when you driver or your operator is in the right training, so he can keep the records. And it's the responsibility to stop the equipment when something is wrong. So that's why the guy he knows what he needs to replace 
or he know okay, what equipment or what uh, mechanic system he need to replace. But I'm putting the personal records. It's my responsibility to check the numbers, keep the numbers for the, every fuel filter, air filter, hydraulic filter, because if I need to buy, so I know the number can you. So you are coming at this from a background of, you know, 20 years as a mechanic, multiple years farming. Mm -hmm. What would you say to, you know, a farmer who has their own farm and has this kind of equipment, but doesn't have that background? That is the problem. Maybe not is the answer, okay? You want to hear it, but we see that problem. And it's a very, it's a huge problem. Because you're right, these many farmers, they don't have the background or the skills. And that starts to make it like, a, how I can say? It just causes like a, a larger expense yes. on the farm. That's a, a big part of it. Like hiring a mechanic for $50 an hour just to change the oil and change the filters and do like basic stuff or, you know, changing the, the blades on the tiller and, and stuff like that. Um, $50 an hour for a mechanic is really expensive. Yeah. So if you can do, as a farmer, if you can do those basic things, the basic maintenance on your own, it saves a lot of money in the long run. And it also, you know, it can be a preventative thing too. It can prevent the tractor from having, you know, larger issues in the future, like the oil levels, the hydraulic fluid, if they run low, you know, it can damage the engine, it can damage gears and bearings and things, so. For the new farmers with no skills and no experience, it's made, sometimes it's very easy training these people, but the farmer, you know, want to put in money because he's thinking he's, he don't need it, but really he needs it. It's in the back side to the farming. And like when you start to like training them, one person, you don't need to train the full crew. If you train one person, when, I don't know, go to learning, change the oil or change it like basic maintenance, you can save it a lot of time and you can save it too many things and you don't farm. And it's nothing expensive training somebody. Mm -hmm. Oh, the way you can train one employee is only give it like, I don't know, final persons like me. It's a little hard for final. I don't want to be like proud, but it's hard to find somebody who wants to train it to you. Because many people ask me like, what I put in this program, if I can make it more money, be a mechanic. Mm -hmm. But we farmer, you don't make it money. When you be a farmer, you make it enough for keeping your business running. Mm -hmm. So for me, take advantage to the other farmers is not in my, it's not the way I work. In. I prefer like training people, teaching people, keeping the farming community like keep it moving. That is the goal to this program. And that is the point that we want to do it. It's not for taking advantage, it's for like training new people for the, do the maintenance and contractors or equipment. To be more self-sufficient. So can you, can you all tell us about this tractor school that you've started? So the program is started in the farm that I'm working right now. You know, it started in the farm. So we start with employees. Employees start to ask me questions about how he's driving the tractor, how he's fixing this equipment. And we don't have enough time because we need to keep on farming, obviously with a salary for doing those jobs. So we start like having a conversation outside the work for putting together uh, this program. So with the program is started more for like helping younger farmers. So I can say like new farmers, farmers with no experience. So 
people just want to learn something different. It's very hard when you go working on a farm and your only job is like harvest beans for like six hours. Mm -hmm. And when you finish to six months, you the only thing you need to know, or the only thing you know is harvest thing. Mm -hmm. And when you try to apply another farm for other job, you don't have any skills. So we think in that way, it's like, okay, I'm gonna train it like a couple of persons and driving a tractor, teaching mechanic and teaching the service. We stay putting together, and when we see that the program he has tons of potential for help a lot of farmers, mm -hmm. is when we start to put in more things together. So the program is more for helping younger people and people because sometimes he can have the opportunity for growing in the farm community. Oh. So people can sometimes say like, no, you only be here for harvest, and that's it. But there's no no way. Uh, the program is made it for three classes because the safety. Uh, the second is more like a training and maintenance and the third is more like operate the tractor. Mm -hmm. Everybody will get an employed or a person and the tractor. They have this idea that driving a tractor is only like going back or moving pallets or do the basic things, but driving, an op driving a tractor or operate the tractor is that you have the knowledge for everything around the tractor. Because give it the maintenance, the service, uh, operating equipment, uh, and more and more sophisticated, like be a safe for other employees. When you drive in a tractor, you have a, let's go put in this example, I have the transplanter with three employees attached in the back to the tractor. Mm -hmm. If I do something wrong, I'm be okay because I'm still operating the equipment. And the equipment, he had the bars for save my life, but not for the three guys who's going the back. So I'm responsible for three lives when I open the tractor. And many people thinking that only driving the tractor is sitting the tractor, driving straight, and do your job and it's wrong. Because you need to have a specific training for this person. He can be in the back, he can be in the size, when you harvest, or he can be in the front when the people are to like planting or putting tipos or something more. Yeah. So it's very specific training and very specific skill. It's no, it's no easy driving a tractor anymore because your life and lives is at risk. This is the important part. The second part, I'm responsible for one equipment is super important in the farm for any farm. Usually very expensive. And very expensive. Two, by making loose the tractor, because the tractor he have issues or any damage, I can stop the operation for this farm for like two weeks. Yeah, days or weeks. Days a week. The productivity in that farm, it can be completely slow or he can be like down completely. Because some, sometimes in other farms is working for tillers or spaders or power hero. See, the tractor is in damage, we can do anything. We need to wait until it's fixed. And really, paying labor for a mechanic, the basic service is $500. Is you need to take a time, take the tractor, and take it to the mechanic shop, because that is easy, like three hours. And the time that you put in the trailer driving, talking to the mechanic, what you needed, what you wanted, back in your farm, 
and you need to back maybe in the second or third day, do the same process and back. So you lose not only $500 in labels, you know, you still lose maybe $700 counting time. So in farming time, that is more money. Because we say talking to the one employee, because taking the tractor and back to the mechanic. But you don't know he was like harvest day, he was a planting day, or he was prepared field. He can be increase the price for the farm. And that way you lose money in any direction. Forgive it for don't do it the preventing maintenance in the right. So that is why we put in this program together for like training new operators or training new employees for doing the right things in the right. So when you're getting people interested in attending this class or you know just even doing preventative maintenance, how do you how do you encourage farmers to do that? Like to do before equipment is broken, before you know, after they're done using it, like, or when they're not using it and it's just sitting there, how do you kind of instill that into farmers so that they need to keep, kind of keep working on it or keep checking their equipment? I mean, part of that is just like knowing what to look for, like mm -hmm. what to look out for, you know, to know how to like check the hoses for leaks. Cause if you're leaking hydraulic fluid and you run out of hydraulic fluid, it can, you know, damage the transmission eventually and that's major like really major and just being able to to check regularly basic stuff like tire pressure and checking the what else there's it can be like a one list uh they think of uh, that sort of thing everybody wants to well, i have many questions about these classes because they're like oh it's very important can go to the first class Oh, I can go to the third class because only I need to drive in. Oh, I think I know driving, so I think I can go only for the maintenance. So I'm stay talking with everybody and say, like, I, I don't think so it's possible because the safety class is the first one can go told you how you keep it be safe, you and the tractor. When you be safe in the tractor, I can tell you what you can check and inspection in your tractor. So it's first training the operator and the next you be responsible for other people and for the equipment. So by putting the, uh, the right training for these people, it like go specific, what you need to check and when you need to check. You need to be familiar with the equipment and you need to be familiar, you are responsible for the equipment. So it's the basic stuff, basic um, point that we want to do it. It's like, you are fierce, and you are responsible for the equipment. When the employee learning how to identify the problem or any issue in the tractor, he can have more knowledge what is the next for fix it or keep it the maintenance. So I know it's like, it'll be a little harder for people know uh, knowledge in mechanic, but when you do it one time or when you do it the second time, you still get an experience. It's sometimes really it's only like, somebody give you the opportunity for seeing what you're doing and you stay getting the knowledge and the farm community or the farmers or the owners don't want to do that they usually don't she don't want to do it believe me it's hard you get a driver position and the fear is to be a farmer 
sometimes you need to take it like maybe five years or maybe never. Because when you, if you have a time, we can check the requirement for be a driver in California. It's almost 10 things or maybe more. And one is very specific, okay, you need to have the skills in mechanic. If you don't have these skills, you can open it's finished. You can do that. Certification it's a one certification in California for via driver, a specific driver. When you start talking to something more, is only for via driver. You need to have a knowledge. So we, when we stay like working on medium skill farm, if I have a knowledge in mechanic, I know we have a driver and be a mechanic. What I need to be a driver is it's not, it's not worth it for me. But you go in the farms. And the only guy that he can operate the tractor is the owner. But the owner is busy making paperwork or sketch for planting or checking everything. It's not, it's not efficient anymore for farmers. It's, it's, it's in logic. It's sometimes really in logic. Mm -hmm. The farm guy working, we are 10 employees, maybe eight to 10. So I can say five to 10, 10 employees. I am the only driver. If I go, if I don't go to work tomorrow, that farm is a problem, huge mm -hmm. problem, because we don't have a backup, and we don't have the time for training other people. The owner he don't have the money for pay somebody for training an employee, and he don't want to put an risk equipment. So this is the program, like training outside of the time to the farming. Uh, the owner he don't need to spend money for pay a, a trainer. And we stay doing more sophisticated. It's completely full. Like I say, the safety, the driving, and the maintenance. Mm -hmm. Nobody will give you that, that opportunity. Nobody. Yeah, it's interesting. What I'm hearing is this tractor pro. This tractor training program is not just about, you know, safety and maintenance and mechanics, but also about empowering workers, increasing. Efficiency mm -hmm. on farms, that's really great. And skill, yeah, build, I mean, and skill building, yeah. Yeah, many people ask me where I get this knowledge because you're like, well, not because you drive in a tractor for 10 years, you make it your expert. But I working for GMC company for 10 years in Mexico. And I can say that he uh, trained to me the right way for being proactive, for working in a team, uh, the team leader, for working like, so be sophisticated, be very efficient by 100% and any skills. So I have all this information and every, and these two farms that I work in, I handle them to the teams with actual people, we know any problem. So for this, we have the knowledge for doing this class, for training and deploy and for making her knowledge and more proactivity. Because that is the important thing, just we back again. I can put in any person to the tractor, but if this person, he don't have the vision for big productivity, it's not worth it. The tractor is so efficient in one farm that he needs to be used at 100% for getting the, I can say the productivity in the farm. If you have one person with no knowledge, you need to use the equipment to the right. You used to use it like 75% or maybe 50%. We don't want that. We want like one driver or employee with this pro action. 
be efficient. We don't want a driver kid like driving for three hours, he have a leaking in the holes, or he have like problem in the bushel, and he need to stop. We don't want that. We want like person he can see the problem, stop the tractor, get it to wrenches, fix it, and keep going. That is the goal. Do you all have a lot of people interested in attending the courses? Yeah. We have right now 10 people outside. We have too many friends and farms and farmers asking more for the program. Uh, right now, right now the farmers on the farms is they asking if we have a time to go to her farm or do the program in her farm. So we will see if we can do it. Maybe in the future. In the future, because really, she's so busy in her farm. I'm working six hours, no, what, 10 hours a day in the other farm, plus coming here, support my wife and her farm, fix the equipment. We have other farmers bring her tractors for fixing. So we are yeah, completely cool. <laughs> right now, you see, can clean and she's clean. She's like, oh, you're a farmer? Like, no, my duty shield is that way. <laughs> and I need to put in. 30 minutes and back to my so work. Back to work. <laughs> but I was thinking and make it this program bigger. Mm -hmm. Fun community really need. Yeah. And we've had people suggest like other classes that we could do in the future. Mm -hmm. Like uh, maybe even bringing in other farmers to teach like how to use a BCS or what were some of the other suggestions? Right now I like the BCS, but and how even like to change the implements on the tractor, which is a really big thing um, because it's something that can be really dangerous if you don't know what you're doing. And it can also take forever if you don't know what you're doing. So there, there are a lot of different, um, different things, tractors and, and other equipment. The classic can be expanded like any equipment, any equipment it can be like so important in the farm. So many people he thinking like, oh, what if it's so important? Say I fix it my bushel. Like it's only for good grass, but there's many things behind to only one bushel. It can be blades, uh, lubricate, gearbox, uh, clutch, any other skills or situation or any situation like that, it can make it one accident. When I say one accident, I don't say like only Oh, uh, yeah, I cut my finger. Like, we have one very bad experience, like two months ago. Well, I'm not here, it's in another farm. Uh, this person is taking good grass because he think it's only good grass. It's a regular day, good grass. Uh, the clutch and the bushel, he started to be smoke. He started to be smoking. The operator, he was focused only more for driving. No, for, he was familiar with the bushel. She thinking in the smoke he was for like something more. So he's keep on working. The bush oak started being fire in one second because she had like oil, because it was a terrible service before. He had oil, the friction make fire, making like heat, the clutch, he started on fire the bush. Drive it all around with the ball to the fire, to the back to the tractor. Good grass. And there's dry grass. Dry grass. Everywhere. It can be like a huge accident <laughs> only because the driver, you know, was coming. He could catch the whole farm on fire. fire. And, you know, it's just 
knowing what to look out for. Like if you mm -hmm. smell something burning, you should shut off the tractor and figure out what's burning. So yes, I'm letting slide. Now let's hear from Rahul of Snapfinger Farm. Uh, my name is Rahul Anand and I run Snapfinger Farm just outside of Atlanta, Georgia. And what kind of crops do you grow at Snapfinger? Uh, we grow a wide variety of crops, um, maybe like 50 different crops. So we do all kinds of fruits and vegetables, um, cut flowers and herbs. And what are your outlets for the farm? Uh, we sell at two to four farmers markets, depending on the time of year. Uh, we have a, a small CSA. We sell the local restaurants and small grocery stores. And then we have a, a, a small piece that goes to wholesale. Do you have any employees on your farm? Yeah, we have um, somewhere between four and eight employees throughout the year. Can you kind of describe to us what your cold storage looks like on the farm? Yeah, so when I first got to this farm, um, there was a shipping container. Um, and at that time, that was the uh, easiest solution for a, uh, a wash station and cooler. And so I basically built my uh, cooler in the back, like 10, I think it's 10 feet of the, uh, of the shipping container. And so it's like 10, I think it's like 10 by eight by 10. And I made it out of uh, used polyiso uh, roofing insulation panels, which in the Atlanta area are readily available on Craigslist and are very cheap to get the, to get up to the R value. And so it's just that, um, I, uh, what do you call it? An OSB board and latex paint, I, th I think it's latex paint, um, to cover everything on the inside um, in white. And it's, you know, then run with a CoolBot unit. Can you tell folks what a CoolBot is? Yeah, so a CoolBot is basically just a little device that controls um, your air, any window, well, certain window air conditioning units. Um, and it can trick the air conditioning unit into cooling below its normal uh, amount, which is 60. So depending on what we're storing, we'll keep it anywhere from 34 to 50. Can you describe what the different temperatures are for different crops? Yeah, so um, so if we're say pulling a bunch of root vegetables that are going to get run through a washer and then put in the storage for a period of time, we really want those to be closer to that 34. Um, and then things in the summer like eggplant, if we were to leave those at 34, they'd be damaged from cold damage within a day, and so those have to be at a higher temperature. And we, I get most of those temperatures from, there's a wholesale readiness handbook by I think Family Farmed that I think, I think you can get it for free. And that has like literally pages that say like eggplant, this crop, this crop, and, and then the, the best practices for storing them. Do you have a cleaning schedule for your cooler? Uh, we don't get it's as needed, um, which I think in practice comes out to quarterly taking everything out and fully deep cleaning it. 
Can you kind of describe what it, it looks like to deep clean your walk-in? Yeah, so we, any, if there's any racks or anything in there, we take it out. We just fully empty the entire cooler. And then we get either sanitate or bleach, depending, and uh, just scrub down everything. So first we would get rid of, with like sponges, we'd get rid of any visible dirt or anything like that. And then after that's cleaned, then we'd come in and put the sanitate or the bleach over it. Can you explain um, like how you organize your walk-in? So actually now we have two walk-ins. So one is just, we have pallets and boxes of bulk storage roots like daikon radishes, winter radishes, carrots, etc. And so that one is just literally, there's pallets on the ground and then on those pallets, there's boxes stacked to the ceiling. And then in the main cooler, we have a stainless steel metro rack like you'd see in a restaurant. Um, and that ha is where we put like miscellaneous things. So like if we're harvesting cut flowers, the buckets of flowers will go there. If there's something small that needs to be, you know, set aside, it goes there. And then our general harvests are in uh, round trip totes, which are like the uh, rigid, durable plastic with the folding lids that can nest when you're not using them. So we'll put our produce in those, label it, and then store them in the cooler in that. Or if order if orders are going out, we'll pack them into their order boxes and, and put them in the cooler. It's really just one rack, and the rest is open to stack boxes or totes. How does your crew know, you know, which product to use first or take out? The bins are dated. So if it's okay. if it's in a box going out, then we it's it has the restaurant name on it or the customer name on it or a CSA label on it. And if it's not going out, then like it, today, 8-3, if we harvested okra, then it'll say okra 8-3. Can you walk us through kind of what your walk pack station looks like? It is a 40-foot shipping container, which we're slightly growing out of right now. But uh, as it stands, you come in, there's a folding table with clean bins, harvest bins on your left. And then there's an area you can put in whatever you, you're bringing in for harvest on your right. And then in front of that is a three compartment stainless steel sink with two washboard sides um, where washing can occur. And on the other side of that, there is a uh, hardware cloth drip table and then followed by another folding table and then a stainless steel table and um, bag and you know uh, whatever scale storage. And so generally we you'd bring it in if it's something that needs to be washed or dunked go into that stainless steel sink then if it needs to you know whatever dry it goes to the drip table and then goes to the next table to be packed in whatever fashion and then on the other side of the just opposite the sink in the container you can turn around and put your dirty bins which will then can get cleaned and added to the clean bin table is all of the produce that um, goes in the walk-in, is it washed or is there some that goes in unwashed? Almost all of it. So okra would not be washed. I'd say like 70% of it is washed. So all the produce that's able to be washed is washed before it goes in yes. the walk-in? Yes. Got it. Including okay. the storage root vegetables are washed before they go in. Okay. Yeah. Only things that we would be damaged by washing are the things we don't wash. 
say a new farmer is setting up a wash station, what kind of considerations would you give as advice for that person? Yeah, easy to clean. Um, you know, we, I, I, a lot of the tables and like that mesh table I was talking about, I, I built myself, but just make sure whatever you do, it can easily be moved and cleaned, um, especially if you're washing dirty produce or it's muddy or whatever, you wanna be able to, like for us, we have it so everything can come out and we can pressure wash the whole container and put everything back in fairly easily. So I think having everything on casters is really important. That way you don't need like four people to lift, you know, a giant three compartment sink if you need to move that or like a, anything like that. In our case, I think have more like more room than you think you need or want to move around in um, just because you can get away with uh, having less room doesn't mean necessarily you should. Wash pack is where a lot of our time goes. And so making that easily, a place you can easily move around, multiple people can work without getting each other's way, I think is important. Mm -hmm. um, and then make sure your workflow makes sense. So if you're bringing things, and I just described a, a shipping container where this is not the case, which is one of the reasons we're redesigning, um, is you don't want things going in and out the same way. So if you're, dirty produce or field produce is coming in one way, there should be a clear flow of wash, or if there's no wash, then just pack going into a cooler, which can then be loaded without coming back through that area. You mentioned that you're expand, you're planning on expanding. What does that, what are, you, what are your thoughts on that? Will it still be so, in a shipping container or? No, okay. so there, there's a, a barn that was partially completed on the property when I got it. And uh, it was gonna be a horse, a giant horse barn um, so it's a very large shell of a building and so we're going to go in there and have a permanent wash pack cooler area what kind of considerations do you have to put in place before you can move into there into that space um a lot uh so you know we, we want bathrooms and stuff in there and so there's septic for that and then there's wastewater flow for the non septic stuff so all the you know the, the wash station wastewater and then concrete drains workflow um if we want to use pallets for some of our bulk storage stuff or or uh, macro bins then uh having the coolers and the doors and and all the flooring and everything makes sense so things can easily be moved with pallet jacks yeah, I mean, you start moving thousands of pounds of produce and you want it to be as easy as possible to, to move around. So the walk-in will move to that space too? Yes, and there will be more of them. So uh, I mentioned that wholesale readiness handbook for the temperatures of produce. We look at that and then we do the best we can with the coolers that we have. But the idea would be to have enough coolers and enough space that they could really be set to the exact right temperature and humidity. Going back to the cool bots, can you talk about any kind of maintenance that you have to do on that? The benefit of the cool bot is generally very low maintenance. So we've had, uh, this farm has been here since 2016 and one of the cool bots has been in use that entire time and not in a professional, you know, I told I, I built it out of used panels. So even in that space, um, it's had very few issues. Now, 
it does have issues. And the, the one of the problems is that you're not going to be able to get someone to come service it. Um, you know, there's Coolbot has resources for their actual controller, but in terms of you're essentially off label using this air conditioning unit that you're kind of on your own to figure that out. So we did have an issue recently with it where it turns out multiple things had gone wrong. So a sensor had gone wrong on the Coolbot. Actually, two sensors had gone wrong on the Coolbot. And then the actual temperature sensor on the air conditioning unit had also gone bad. Um, so that combination took a little bit of time to figure out. And, um, you know, it, we, I was able to figure it out and like splice together different things to make it work. But I think another thing to think about is say I didn't even mess with any of that and just replaced the entire unit. That's only like five or $600 versus like, you know, if you have a commercial unit calling someone out to fix it, it's probably going to cost you a few hundred dollars just to have them out there. So even, you know, after five years, even if I just pulled that unit out and put another one in, the cost would be pretty low. That being said, I didn't have to do that. And the same one is still running right now. And then another benefit is the energy cost. So I have a pretty big one. It's a two, 240 volt. I forget the exact BTU, but it's a, a large unit that's running constantly. And I think... I don't, and even if it's like a hundred degrees outside, I don't think um, our monthly electricity cost has ever been more than $30 for the unit, which is extremely low. That's great. Do you have any issues with the Coolbot kind of dripping condensation in the walk-in? Sometimes, but as long as, and they have instructions for that on how to tilt the unit. Um, so it's draining outside instead of into the, into the, uh, into the space. Um, yeah. Or how do you store, I think you might've mentioned this earlier, but can you explain how you store your produce in the walk-in? Yeah, it's in, um, it's mostly in uh, round trip uh, durable plastic totes or in produce boxes, wax or unwaxed. Yeah, and then sometimes depending on what it is inside of that, it'll be in a poly bag. But we generally don't like put like loose bags in the cooler. Can you explain the reason for keeping your produce covered in the walk-in? Is it for quality or food safety? Just or? for quality. And what happens? I know this might be a. What happens if it's not in like covered bins or in poly bags? You know, for like a what's a good example? Like a daikon radish. If it's just in an open bin, they get soft which I guess that's where you could maybe say there's the benefit of a commercial refrigeration is you could set it exactly so that you could leave that open in there. Um, we have tried to get the Coolbot set so we can do that, but it, we haven't really gotten it to do that. So my next question is not about the walk-in or the um, wash pack, but Billy had mentioned that you have like a really interesting partnership with your partner at the bakery. Can you kind of explain that model to us? Yeah, so since we go to farmer's markets and have a CSA program, um, my partner is a professional baker. And so she, we uh, through a cottage license, so uh, we don't have a commercial kitchen, but in Georgia under a cottage license, which is like, pretty simple inspection of your home kitchen um, you can produce certain low-risk foods 
and sell them directly. So for us, that'd be farmer's market and um, NCSA can't sell that to restaurants or any of our other wholesale clients. But in those cases, we can sell those things. And so she bakes um, all kinds of bread, pastries, et cetera. Um, and is also in charge of making jam from our fruits. And we're able to, to do that as an add-on to our CSA and um, as an added uh, item at the farmer's market. So you said you mentioned fruit from the farm is going into that. Is there anything else being grown for that? For the bakery? Herbs get used and then um, the fruit, but no, we, we're not growing any grain or anything here for that, but we are using um, regional grains through um, through a local uh, Southeastern uh, a flower distributor that has uh, local flowers. Thanks for joining us. Please take some time to explore the Young Farmer's Guide to Writing a Food Safety Plan and some of our favorite resources in the Produce Safety Library located on the Young Farmers website, youngfarmers.org. And reach out if you have any questions. We would love to hear from you. Our email is services at youngfarmers.org. Thanks for joining us.